my wife, Serena, and I, everybody say hi to Serena. She's on the front row. Uh, we're very excited to be with you, and uh, we're excited. Anybody else's kids? Uh, what is fall break happening in Texas right now, too? You guys in fall break? No? Okay, never mind then. That won't transfer. I'm just, I'm just an oaky from Durant. You have to... You have to work with me here, but uh, we're excited to have all five kids in class tonight, in Jesus' name. So, praise God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach long just so we can have a break. <laughs> oh, amen. You guys, they told me you normally don't wrap up till about 10 o'clock, so we should be fine, right? We're on fall break in Oklahoma, so we'll all be on Oklahoma time tonight. I was uh, honored and excited that uh, my friend, uh, not really my friend, Pastor Austin's uh, my brother. I, I really count him as a brother in the Lord, and um, you guys uh, just have a phenomenal leadership, such wisdom in the house and people that are pouring into your lives. Uh, Pastor Terry, Pastor Stan, uh, these are great men of God and great women of God. Pastor Antoinette, uh, powerful in her ministry of the word and uh, in the love of Jesus. And I could go on and on about the team here, but uh, you just need to know that uh, you're in good hands. It's good to be in good hands. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a look at the book of Matthew? Uh, I don't always use scripture when I preach, but I'm going to tonight. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I was talking to a mentor of mine, Pastor Lee Armstrong, and uh, he was saying the other day, he was like, man, you know, there's some people that they'll just get this, this idea and then they'll go to find scriptures to, to match it. And I said, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> he said, we're gonna have to talk about that. You gotta start with the scripture and then go that way. And I was like, oh, Pastor Lee, uh, we, we can try. But uh, I, uh, you know, God just kind of talks to me uh, differently. And, and I think that that's uh, good because we're all different. And uh, I pray that what I have to say tonight is encouraging to you. Uh, I told uh, my wife, because uh, she was, her, her foot was kind of shaking a little bit when we were sitting down, and I told her, I said, don't worry, I'm going to watch my jokes when I'm here tonight. <laughs> so I'm saying that in front of everybody. I get, uh, I get a little bit too loose in Durant, so I'm going to be on my best behavior tonight. I don't want to do anything to, uh, to unintentionally cause a problem for Pastor Austin. So uh, even though he knows what he gets when he asks me to come. So I mean, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. These are the words of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God tonight, uh, specifically kingdom culture. And I think it's important for us to really understand and know that the gospel that Jesus preached when he was on the earth was the gospel of the kingdom. And we have a lot of different pictures in our mind when we think about the gospel or the good news. The majority of Christians understand that to be the good news about Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. How many of you know that that is not just good news, that is great news. And the gospel that leads men and women to salvation. And I would say that the gospel of the kingdom definitely is not complete without a gospel of salvation. But I would say that a gospel of salvation is not the entirety of the gospel that Jesus ministered whenever he was here on the earth. In fact, if you read the gospels, you'll see very little talk from Jesus about going to heaven when you die. And you'll hear a lot about the kingdom of God as it pertains to the right here and the right now and living in a way to manifest that kingdom with your day 
day-to-day life. A lot of Christians miss the gospel of the kingdom because we're all looking to the kingdom that's coming in the return of the Lord. And we're looking to the day that we get to finally put an end to this race and can receive our crown just to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. How many of you know that the only good thing about you getting a crown one day is that you're gonna be able to lay it at the Lord's feet? Uh, that's, that's the whole purpose of this, of this thing. We're living a life of desiring. I know I'm desiring to hear the day that I stand before the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But it's important for us to know and to understand that Jesus preached a particular type of gospel and it's because he was a particular type of person. He is a particular type of person. How many of you are grateful for the friendship that you have in Jesus? You should be so grateful because there truly is no friend like you have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? Somebody should write a song. But the thing about friendship with Jesus is that it's important for us to know that who we're friends with is the visible image of the invisible God. I think about Jesus's conversation with uh, his disciple, Philip, and Philip asked Jesus, he said, how much longer, Lord, until you show us the Father? And Jesus did his, <sighs> Philip, you know, you ever have those moments with, uh, with, with your kids or grandkids or just as a pastor with congregants? So you have that time of like, I need to compose myself before I answer that question or before I do that. I think Jesus had those moments with the disciples often. And you see it sometimes, just the rawness of it when he says things like, how much longer am I gonna have to put up with you, you faithless group of people? And then he smiles like, "Ah, but I love you, right? We have those moments. I love seeing the personality of Jesus. That's part of the problem with Christians is because their version of Jesus a lot of time doesn't have any personality. Uh, And Jesus has a personality. Jesus has a life, a real life that he's conveying to us. And I'm thankful for the friendship that we have with Jesus and in Jesus. I'm thankful that Jesus reveals to us once and for all what God is really like. Man, when you just figure out that God is exactly like Jesus, it really changes the way that you view God. That's, that's another problem within Christian circles and communities is everybody, sometimes a lot of people have opinions and views of God that aren't congruent with Jesus. And the book of Hebrews tells us that in many times and in many ways, God's spoken to us through the law and through the prophets. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us once and for all through his son, Jesus Christ. Which means that if we ever wanna figure out what God is like, we only need to look as far as Jesus. Which means that if we don't see Jesus do it in the gospels, God doesn't do it. This stuff is just so uh, simple, but it's, it's not easy sometimes for us to let go of our wrong perceptions. And I would submit to you that Jesus desires to transform your perceptions so that he can transform your realities. The reason I'm convinced that God doesn't put sickness on people is because Jesus didn't put sickness on anybody in the gospels, but he healed all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. So it's very simple. I take Hebrews and it says in many times and in many ways, God's spoken through the law and through the prophets, but now in these final days, he's spoken once and for all through the person of Jesus Christ. And I say, well, if I don't see Jesus do it, then God doesn't do it. And I put that up next to John chapter one, John, the beloved who laid his head on the chest of Jesus at the last supper and heard the heartbeat of God. Man, how many of you just wanna have your head on the chest of the Lord and to be in sync to the heartbeat of God? And he said in chapter one of his gospel that no one has ever seen God. 
It's only the beloved, the one closest to the Father's heart that's made him fully known. And that's why he was a controversial figure. John, out of all the disciples, man, he, he, they, they tried to kill him two different ways. First by poisoning and it didn't work, supernaturally uh, re recovered. And then they tried actually lowering him into a boiling vat of oil and he didn't fry up. They tried to deep fry him and that didn't work. And they, they got so tired of him that they banished him to the island of Patmos. And they said, we'll just starve him out there. Man, he was so controversial, especially to the Jewish community, because when he said no one has ever seen God, what he was saying is compared to Abraham's revelation of Jesus, compared to Moses's revelation of God, sorry, Moses's revelation of the Lord, compared to these patriarchs and prophets, they all pale in comparison in regards to their revelation when you compare it to the revealing of the very heart of God that happened through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got, uh, you've got Moses and Elijah on the mountain and Peter right away. Man, I love Peter, because I pastor a lot of Peters. And uh, said, Lord, we need to build monuments here. We need to build a, a house, a little shack, one for, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then the Lord, the Father's voice comes and says, this is my son, listen to him. Symbolizing the law and the prophets. Something is coming to a place of completion. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. People say, well, Pastor Zach, in the Old Testament, God's doing a lot of confusing things. And I say, you know, if you read a 20 chapter book and you get as far as chapter five and you think you have an understanding of the character and the plot line and the story and you close the book, you're gonna be confused. Jesus is the climax of the story of the scripture. Jesus is the major chord and all the minor chords. Jesus is the chief character of the entire scripture and when we see his life unveiled we have a completion of what we were confused about God's personality God's attributes and religious people get nervous when you talk this way because they think that you're throwing out parts of the Bible well all I'm saying is you should read the whole thing like it's a book and read the whole thing and understand it in its totality. Jesus comes to reveal the true nature of God. You don't need to be confused about what God's like. You just need to look to Jesus and you need to see that God is exactly like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God hasn't been like Jesus. We just haven't always known it, but now we do because now in these last days, he's spoken to us once and for all through the person of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And what a friend that we have in Jesus. We've got friendship with Jesus. I'm thankful for the friendship we have in Jesus, with Jesus. The apostle Paul says that Jesus is also the first in a long line of brothers and sisters. Did you know Jesus is your friend and he's also your elder brother? Because you now share the same father that's been happened through the blood transfusion that he gave you through opening up his side on the cross. And if they were to pull your spiritual DNA today, they'd say, man, this paternity test shows that God's your daddy. Praise the Lord. And Jesus is your elder brother. And that's awesome. So not only is he your friend, not only is he the one that reveals the true nature and character of God, not only is he the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, preeminent in all things, and not only is he uh, the revealer of that true nature of God, he's also the one that reconciles you into the family line of God, reconciles you into the family line of God. He's your elder brother. And how many of you know that he's the king of glory? Amen. 
Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And did you know that Jesus has an actual kingdom that he's in charge of? It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that whenever Jesus came to the earth, he didn't sacrifice his kingship. He just came to show you what the king that you've been desiring your whole life actually looks like, sounds like. If you look at Matthew chapter five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, I like to call that Jesus's inaugural address as king of the universe. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount lays out the platform of the politics of the kingdom of God. He lays out for you the way that this life is in the true kingdom that's always existed, that's been before there were any kingdoms, the kingdoms by which all natural kingdoms and authorities have their authority because whether they know it or not, every king of every kingdom, every president, every prime minister, every parliament member, every monarch is going to one day stand in front of the king of kings and the Lord of lords and have to bow their knee and they will be judged based upon their congruency to lead the earth's people, their congruency to their government compared to the government of God. That's why Paul says prayers need to be made for kings and emperors and those in high places because they bear a responsibility that many of us cannot understand the weight or bear up under that day in regards to what they're accountable to, to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're confused, you just need to be saying amen because this is great preaching. So <laughs> what we wanna do is we wanna continue. Jesus is your friend. Jesus reveals the true nature of God. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you need to know that Jesus' friendship with you and his familiar relationship with you as your elder brother does nothing to compromise his lordship or his kingship in your life. To be friends with Jesus is to be friends with the king of all glory. Jesus doesn't have to compromise his authority to be able to be friends with you. Jesus maintains this seat of all power and all authority. And the same Jesus that reveals himself to us as King and Lord also reveals himself to us as Savior. How many of you are thankful that Jesus is your Savior? That Jesus has lived a life in perfect fulfillment of the will and law of God as the King of that kingdom and has done a work that you could never do, living perfectly obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. What? The work that he was called to do. He never said that you and I were finished. There's a work now that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. And I'm here to tell you that the work that we're called to do is a work that has to be congruent to the kingdom of God. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You thought I forgot, didn't you? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. These are the words of Jesus. These are in red. But seek first the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. To get in here and look at context, Jesus is talking right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount about the way that his kingdom works. Jesus is a real king with a real kingdom. And when you make a decision to become a disciple of Jesus, when you make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, the book of Philippians tells us in chapter three, verse 20, that you become a citizen of heaven. That's a citizenship that you have that is of heaven. Did you know that whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus, you experience something that's called being born again? 
Jesus had a conversation with a leading religious figure of his day, a leading Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him under the cover of night because he was embarrassed and a little afraid to be seen with Jesus during the day. You know, the beautiful thing about the heart of Jesus is that he was still content to meet with them under the cover of night. Jesus wasn't so prideful that say, buddy, if you want to ask me a question, you can schedule an appointment with my secretary and you can meet me in the middle of the day on my time. Jesus is so good. He's so humble. He's so kind. He'll say, it's okay. I'll meet you on your time because he's the author of all time. Jesus isn't in a hurry. Not moved by anything. Confident, fully connected to the will of the Father. Not living under the fear of man because his life was totally swallowed up in what it means to fear the Lord. That's a powerful thing. So Jesus meets with Nicodemus and Nicodemus, we'll call him Nick because I don't know anybody named Nicodemus. So we'll try to be more relatable here and call him Nick. So Nick's having a conversation with Jesus and he says, you know, teacher, you're saying some confusing things, but there's something about it that I like. This is the Zach International version. <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, Nick, I do say some confusing things, but let me break it down for you like this right here. These are spiritual things. You're trying to wrap your scholarly brain around something that's only gonna come through the surrender of your heart. And what I'm trying to reveal to you is that I'm here to tell people that there's a way to be a new kind of human. There's a kingdom, my kingdom, that's not of this world. And we see this as Jesus stands before Pilate, one of my favorite power showdowns of all time, because Jesus, having all power and all authority and knowing it, chooses to do the thing that none of us would do, and that's not make a case for himself. The scripture says that while he was on the cross, he had the ability to call down thousands of legions of angels. But Jesus stood silent before Pilate and endured the cross, despising the shame. And we see in some of the gospels that that silence is marked with a few words that Jesus chooses to say. And one of them is Pilate asking Jesus, if you're a king, and Jesus says, well, seems like you think that I am. And he says, well, if you're a king, then what kind of kingdom is this? And he says, well, Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were of this world, my followers would be fighting for my release. And Jesus is showing us that his kingdom is a different type of kingdom. There's no governmental structure. There's no uh, national political environment that can fully showcase the kingdom of God. This, this, this is something that doesn't exist in left versus right politics. The kingdom of God exists in up and down. It's superior to, it's bigger than, it's totally outside of the structures of the things that we see in our world today, yet it finds its way into the heart of all things in this mysterious way. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, I'm here to talk about a way to become a brand new type of human. I'm here to talk to you about what it means to be born again. And now Nick is really tripped out because he's like, so you're telling me there's a way and you can see he's like borderline grossed out to go re-enter my mother's womb and to be born again. And Jesus is like, Nick, stop. That's gross and weird. That's not what I'm saying. He said, this is spiritual, man. You're, you're a religious leader. You're supposed to be spiritual. He says, like this, the wind moves and you can't see it, but you know its effect. This is, this is something invisible. It's a reality but it's not something that you can perceive with these eyes. It's something you have to see by the eyes of your heart. And he said, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a brand new way to be a person. You, even you, Nicodemus, 
need to be made brand new. How many of you know Jesus is the only one that can make brand new people? Jesus is the only one that can make us brand new. And the reality of that newness is so literal that the majority of Christians miss it. The literalness of it. We have a philosophical relationship with Jesus. We have a uh, motivational relationship with Jesus. A lot of Christians I talk to, their version of Jesus and their understanding of the things of the kingdom is like a combination of Jesus Christ and Tony Robbins. I call it Jesus Robbins. Motivational Jesus, you know. And what we got to know and understand is that Jesus is a real king with a real kingdom. And it's really manifesting as the true nature of the invisible God that created all this. The reality of Jesus is the supreme reality. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, some truth, and an okay kind of life. No, the way, the truth, and the life. And those that discover life in Jesus discover life as it's made to be as it's originally designed to be. God is the author of life. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Even though you were alive, you were dead. And God, by his amazing work of grace, quickened your spirit back to life and gave you the ability to be fully alive, fully awake. And the reality of that newness is so real that you're actually from a different place now. Look at Philippians chapter three, verses 17 through 21. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter six that as Christians, we need to seek first the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. And his righteousness. Philippians three, verse 17. Apostle Paul's writing here. He says, brothers and sisters, we'll add that in there. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What we have here is Paul describing the existence of what we call carnal Christians. Carnality. Thinking and living based upon earthly things instead of the things of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Listen, he says this in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The new birth that's happened on the inside of you, the spirit of God is such a reality that it's actually moved you into a totally different zip code address. You've got citizenship papers that show that your, that your citizenship that you have based upon this new birth that's happened on the inside of you has birthed you into an entirely new kind of place. And the reality of the kingdom of God is something that many Christians are not experiencing. I love a man by the name of Dr. Randy Clark. He says it this way. He says, many Christians have repented enough to get into the kingdom, but not enough to actually see the kingdom. 
And the word repentance literally means in the Greek to change the way that you think. You have to change the way that you think about God in order for you to be able to receive God's amazing gift of grace that he's made accessible through the sacrifice of Jesus. You have to move from being an unbeliever to a believer. But how many of you know that that's supposed to be the starting place for a life now of walking by faith, not by sight. That transformation that happens instantly by the Spirit of God when you call upon the name of the Lord and you give your heart and your life to Him, that's the starting place now for a life in God's rule and reign that we call His kingdom. The kingdom of God is such a literal place because it's made up of literal people, you and I, and is ruled by a literal king, the king of all glory, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God has a culture. The kingdom of God has customs and practices. The kingdom of God has a language. The kingdom of God has belief systems and value systems. The kingdom of God has a smell, praise God. You know, lost has a smell. Found has a smell. Are you following me tonight? The kingdom of God is able to be experienced. The kingdom of God is made to be lived in, but our citizenship is in heaven. Take a look at Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Say amen if you're still with me. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that the kingdom looks like something? Because our king looks like something. I remember being in the country of Haiti in 2017 on a mission trip. And out of all the places that I've been in the world, I can tell you that the most uh, dark, demonic, oppressed place bound in just extreme poverty and lawlessness and corruption within the government like you wouldn't believe I saw in the country of, of Haiti. Some of the most beautiful people in the entire world live in literally one of the darkest places in the world. People so alive with the glory of God. I remember a little boy by the name of Ken Love and uh, Ken Love wanted to grow up and be a pastor. His grandpa, I lived with his grandparents his parents had passed away, him and his brother Kenson. And uh, Ken Love and Kenson lived with their grandparents. We went to their village. His grandpa was the uh, chief voodoo priest for their, for their village. And we went to the voodoo uh, peristyle, the, the voodoo shack where they have their worship. And it's extremely grotesque. They do terrible things to the children in their, in their uh, ceremonies. Uh, just totally demonically inspired and filled. And at night, you can sit there at the mission compound and you can hear the drums going every evening and you can see the fires all along the mountain and uh, terrible things happening to the women and the children in those voodoo ceremonies. And Ken Love's grandpa was the voodoo priest for his entire village. And they took us to the peristyle and uh, they had us pray. And they said, this is specifically how we're praying so there's one advantage in the country of Haiti is that there's no money, at least not for the people. Government has it, but the people don't. Uh, my wife was there in 2010, right after the worst uh, earthquake that the country's ever seen. And there about uh, a month after it happened and uh, the presidential palace had been completely rebuilt, but uh, the bodies of women and children still rotting in the rubble around the capital. So uh, that kind of level of corruption. 
and we're there at the village uh, with Ken Love's grandma. She's a believer, and they worked out an arrangement that she led her two grandsons to Christ. Ken Love, at the time I was there, is probably my son's age now. My son Jude is eight, and we connected right away because Ken Love wants to be a pastor when he grows up, and uh, he uh, lives with, of course, his grandparents, like I said, and the grandma and the grandpa had worked out an arrangement because the grandma had led the boys to the Lord, and it was his it was his responsibility as the voodoo priest and the head of the family to punish his family for converting to Christianity. But the grandma had worked out an arrangement that she would take double the beating so that he wouldn't hurt the boys. So grandma literally absorbs the blows every day for herself and then the two boys. Uh, Talk about a picture of Jesus. And in that place, we went to the voodoo peristyle and uh, had something rise up on the inside of me. And uh, Mama Lori, who's the chief missionary there, she said, we pray over the peristyles that they will supernaturally collapse because if they do, they don't have enough money to rebuild them. So we just pray for them to fall down. Man, you talk about effective ministry. That's my kind of place, <laughs> you know. People don't pray that way here, you know. I just pray for, well, I won't say what we should pray to fall down, but anyway. Anyway, we'll let that go. But uh, we were there and uh, I just had something rise up in me. I said, I want to pray. I want to pray over this site. And I started praying and I just began to release the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the kingdom of God. Did you know the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ is happening right now within you by the Holy Spirit? The kingdom's on the inside of you. But how many of you know that what's on the inside of you is supposed to be coming out of you? into the world. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. What was it? Everywhere he went, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He cleansed lepers. And he taught them how to live in God's rule and reign. Did you know that demons in the kingdom of God don't mix? Did you know sickness in the kingdom of God doesn't mix? That's why Jesus didn't put sickness on anybody. That's why he took it away. Did you know being prideful and arrogant in the kingdom of God does not mix? It's not congruent with the kingdom. Pride is not the native tongue of the kingdom of God. Love is the native tongue of the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount what it's going to be like in his kingdom, what it is like in his kingdom, what it means to live a life in congruence to his lordship. Did you know in every other kingdom, we conquer our enemies by violent force so that we can become more powerful? But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you're going to love your enemies. This is where it always gets quiet in church. And you're going to do, and you're going to do good to those that persecute you. In Jesus, we see a God that would rather die on a cross than kill his enemies. And in Jesus, we see a God on a cross that said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Did you know being offended and holding a grudge is not congruent with the kingdom of God? And if you as a born again Christian, truly now a citizen of heaven, whether you believe it or not, by the spirit, it's true, choose to live a life of of offense and unforgiveness, you are going to constantly feel torn apart on the inside of you because you're not living congruent to the new nature that's within you. The most torturous place to be as a believer is to live at a level lower than your citizenship. We'll let that sit for a minute. So we're in Haiti. Do you guys remember we're in Haiti? We're outside of Ken Love's grandpa's peristyle. You guys are so easy to preach to. Pastor Austin must be loving you well. 
I, I, I just, man, I jabbed their ribs too hard in Durant. They're like, they just <laughs> traumatized. Such love here, such love. Here. Austin's a very peaceful person. I'm a very uh, volatile person. <clears throat> Not volatile, unpredictable. That's one of our jokes, Pastor Austin and I. I, I call him James because that's his Christian name. And I call Abigail, Abigail, because that's her Christian name also. And uh, it doesn't matter. It's just funny. I call him James and Abigail, Austin, Abby. And uh, it's funny because uh, when I first met Austin, he had the uh, palate of a seven-year-old boy in regards to what he would eat. We'd go places and get, you know, chicken strips and, you know, burger, plain and dry. I'm like, dude, you're a grown man. You're older than I am. You got to taste life. You got no spice in your life, baby. That's what I'm here for. I remember we went to, uh, went to a Mexican restaurant in uh, Durant one time. I can tell these stories because he's away. And we were there in, in Durant. I know he's really honoring of me, but, you know, it just, I, it, too much lovey-doveyness in the relationship is no good. We got to have some spice in it, right? So, but we were at a Mexican restaurant in Durant, and uh, I speak Spanish, and a lady was coming to the table, and I was talking to her, and, you know, I'm there a lot, and uh, I have frequent flyer miles at most re- Mexican restaurants in Durant. And... We were there and talking and we ordered the things and he says, oh, you know, no guacamole, no pico, none of the extra for me on the fajitas. And she looked at me and I told her in Spanish, it's sad, isn't it? And she said, see, sí. and she walked away from that. That was awesome story. <laughs> well, praise God. I was with Austin the first time that he tried uh, chicken lo mein. He never had chicken lo mein before. And then I got him next time, put a little spicy oil on it, you know? And uh, then, you know, he talks to me now. He's like, man, I'm just light years above. I'm so proud of all the stuff he's telling me that he's eating now. It's just incredible. And now that he's a, a socialite here in the metropolis of Sherman, he's far surpassed me. I just, having caviar every night, it's just amazing what's happening <laughs> in the big city of Sherman. Uh, <laughs> anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, Haiti. We're in, we're in Haiti and we're outside of the peristyle and I really felt like I was supposed to pray, so I did. And, uh, and I went back and we had our last meal a couple days later. I was there for about 10, 12 days. And uh, Ken Love is there for dinner, the eight-year-old boy. And uh, I had no idea. I thought maybe he was staying the night there. But his village where he lives is about three, four miles away from the mission base. And uh, Mama, one of the leaders there is telling me, I can't remember if it was Mama Lori or not. She said, Ken Love uh, came back tonight and he walked from his village because he had to eat with Pastor Zach before he went back to America. And I said, and I'm thinking, oh, that's so sweet. And then I found out that it got late and it got dark and I saw Ken Love walking and I figured he was gonna stay there in the, in the compound. And they said, no, the grandma wants him home. Uh, Ken Love walks back, he's gonna walk back home. He walked back in the dark, three, four miles all the way home and you don't wanna walk alone. And, country of Haiti, but he came that night just to eat with me. And I remember I wanted to give him something. We weren't supposed to give anything to the kids and, you know, cause it can, they can actually get physically hurt with the other kids trying to take stuff from them. And I just had this little, uh, little carabiner clip for my water bottle. And I thought, man, I can, I can probably sneak this to him and he can wrap it up. You know, I'm kind of a, a rule breaker sometimes. And I took the, uh, we're supposed to take all this medication to go to. And I didn't take the medication and that was bad because then I was on the spot. They're like, raise your hand if you didn't take the malaria medication. And I did and got in trouble in front of everybody. Anyway, I'm having some trauma as I'm thinking about it, but I was there and uh, I was the only faith person on the whole team, but no, I'm just kidding. So I took the, <laughs> I took the, uh, that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. I took the, uh, I took the care beaner and I gave it to Ken Love and you would have thought I gave him a million bucks. He just jaw dropped and he wrapped it up and he put it in his shorts and he said, I will always remember you, Pastor Zach. And 
I saw Ken Love and his little skinny body and the fact that his grandma's having to take beatings for him. And then we would drive around on the streets and, you know, uh, you guys have pothole problems in Sherman? Yeah, man, not like Durant, I'm telling you. Pothole problems in Durant and just pot problems in Durant. But we, uh... <laughs> oh, amen. And, and, you, and you guys are driving up to buy it. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, praise God. But we, not you guys like here, but the, the North Texians, the ones you're supposed to be reaching for the gospel. Not here, not here, not here. <clears throat> but uh, we're, we're, we're there and we're driving down the roads and the potholes in Haiti are so big that they'll literally swallow your van. They're like craters. They're not potholes. I'm being honest with you. And just open sewage running in the streets, uh, so food insecure that the moms actually take, they, they, they spoon off the ground spoonfuls of dirt and they give it to their kids, especially the babies because they're crying all the time and the moms aren't eating so they're not producing milk. And they, they spoonful dirt in their mouth just to put something on their stomach to kind of try to stave off the hunger pains. And I was driving around and, and you know the Lord spoke to me and he said, my kingdom looks like something. And I looked out and I saw the potholes and I'm thinking about Ken Love and his, and his grandma having to take beatings for him and the presidential palace rebuilt and shining and everything around it dilapidated and constructed. And he said, my kingdom doesn't look anything like this. And I began to look around in Haiti in 2017. I got this revelation and God started drilling down deeper in me about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And I'm thinking, what would the kingdom of God look like if it manifested in Haiti? Well, there'd be paved roads uh, people would have food. Uh, you notice that where Jesus went, there's always abundance. Little boy's lunch feeds 5,000. Uh, fishermen don't just catch a big catch so much it starts sinking the boat. God's kingdom has to do with abundance. And kingdom people should expect abundance for themselves and for others. Let me tell you very quickly, if you're stuck on thinking that it's holy to take a vow of poverty, well, just go live with Ken Love for a couple weeks and you'll see if you still feel that way. Uh, there's nothing holy about a, a vow of poverty. That's the biggest, one of the biggest demonic lies that there is. Uh, poverty doesn't help anybody. Uh, it doesn't help anybody. It's demonic and it needs to be broken in Jesus' name so that God's kingdom can manifest. How many of you know the kingdom of God looks like something? God's kingdom looks like righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. But you notice that righteousness precedes peace and joy. And I would tell you tonight, full of the Holy Ghost and faith and boldness, that any area of your life that you're not experiencing peace and joy is because it's not right. Righteousness just means rightness. It means goodness. It means getting things into proper alignment. Look at what Jesus says about his kingdom. Can we all agree that the king reserves the right to tell us what his kingdom's like? Amen. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. I'm reading out of the ESV, by the way. It's easier. Uh, English Standard Version is a little bit easier than the Spanish Standard Version for you to understand. So that's why I read it. It's really advantageous in southeastern Oklahoma, North Texas to preach in English. So that's what I'm doing tonight for you. <clears throat> he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. What gospel did Jesus come to preach? The gospel of the... Kingdom. Thank you, Jesse. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. 
But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures flour till it was all leavened. Did you know Jesus is the word of God made flesh, which means everything that he says is on purpose for a purpose. Jesus isn't just like, man, I'm really struggling with an analogy for the kingdom of God. Let me see, let me see, what can I think of? That's what Pastor Zach does. Jesus doesn't do that. (laughs) Jesus knows exactly what his kingdom's like because he built it. He's in charge of it. He's the king of the kingdom. He said, this is what my kingdom is like. If you're gonna follow me and live in my kingdom under my lordship, under my rule and reign, let me explain to you what my kingdom is like. He did that in Matthew 5 through 7. I told you all those things are the, are the platform of Jesus' politics. If you don't know the politics of the kingdom of God, read the Sermon on the Mount and keep reading it, keep reading it and let it offend you because it will. And then you'll find grace and you'll say, Lord, teach us the ways of the kingdom. He put this parable before him. What's the kingdom like? Well, the kingdom's like a grain of mustard seed, something small, something insignificant, smallest of the seeds. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree. How many of you know that to the world, making a decision to follow Jesus looks foolish? Because you can't see Jesus with these natural eyes. And this born again thing, at first you can't see it. When you first follow Jesus, you're born again. How many of you know that you're a babe in Christ? And a lot of what's happening on the inside of you is invisible and it's mysterious and it takes time for you to bear mature fruit and begin to manifest the things of the kingdom through your life. But all you know is when you first come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, something's changed. Something's different. You lose, you lose a desire for the things that you used to desire before. You don't know why, but that circle of friends, you can't connect with them like you did before. And you don't have language to it, but you just feel a draw to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost has taken a presidency on the inside of you. Amen. Amen. That's what happens. In the same way that you take a seed and at first it's invisible because you plant it beneath the soil looks insignificant, looks like it won't have the effect. A seed bears no resemblance to the thing that it turns into. Yet the potential for everything that that tree is is inside of the seed. Jesus says you receive at first this invisible, laughable notion that there's this invisible king and this invisible kingdom that will empower you to live eternally and to consummate God's rule and reign in your world and in your home and in your business. And it's laughable. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to disarm the strong. He says, and you plant this seed on the inside of you, but if you let it sit and you Allow yourself to be washed by the washing of the water of God's word and the rain that we sang about of the Holy Spirit. He said, in a little while, there'll be something spring up from that soil. And then in a little while longer, if you keep at it and you keep in a place of trusting in the Lord, that thing will actually grow into something big enough to now lead your entire family into the kingdom. How many of you know that you staying connected to the Lord ministers to the people around you. Last person I was praying for in my immediate family was my grandpa, my pa. I grew up with him. 86 years old this year. And in 2018, when James Brown was preaching Sunday morning after Jubilee in Durant, my pa was in attendance and I got to do the altar call and my pa's 
that time, 86, so can't do math. You figured out how old he was then. His hand shot up first one to receive Jesus. I've been trying to minister to Pa since I was nine years old. When I first asked Jesus into my heart, how I many of you know I was a babe in the natural and a babe in Christ? But something happened, especially in 2010, when I figured out that the way that I really get immersed in the kingdom is not just the Holy Spirit activating things within me, but the Holy Spirit's power coming upon me. And that day of Pentecost activation, oh man, we really be preaching about we get into that. And I know there's been some good teaching coming on the Holy Spirit here a couple weeks ago. I'm thankful for that. But the activation of God's kingdom in your life, at first it's insignificant, it's invisible, it's happening beneath the soil. But you know, living a life of congruence to the kingdom and staying faithful to Jesus, people start to notice. And when you start getting the results of the kingdom in your life, people say, what are you doing? In Durant, they say, what are you smoking that's getting the results that you're getting now? Man, you're so full of peace and joy. And how many of you know you say, man, this ain't nothing that you grow in the field. This is the wine of God that's coming to my life. Man, and I just believe that the best way to live is just riding that buzz of the Holy Ghost. I love it. It's a good way to be. People will like you more if you're drunk in the spirit. Praise God. Become the life of the party. Jesus said this thing's invisible. But he said, but here's the thing. In that way, in a microcosm, let's look at the macro. Jesus dying on the cross was one of the most powerless, pathetic, sad endings of any hero story that could ever have been imagined. Here's this guy moving in might and in power, raising people from the dead. And people mocked him. They said, this dude that raised people from the dead, that was performing all these healings, he can't even save himself. How many of you know that Jesus, the same way that a seed has to die to go under the ground for it to be raised again, Jesus said, what I'm about to sow into the tomb will bear no resemblance to the tree of life that will spring out, whose fruit will be for the healing of all the nations in my people. How many of you know that the same, listen, this is how powerful our king is, the same Roman government that crucified him 200 years later converted to Christianity, the entire nation. That's where we can thank the Roman Catholics. Did you know there would be no Victory Life Church if there wasn't first a Catholic church? But God does things in times and in seasons. And how many of you know that God does a new thing? And uh, I'm proud to be a, protest, a protestant, right? <laughs> but I got charismatic Catholic brothers that are filled with the Spirit and that are serving the Lord. The same government that crucified Jesus under Emperor Constantine made a decision to convert the entire nation. Think about that. Such an impact on the world Jesus has had that we measure time itself by him before Christ, B.C., and A.D., after death. I made you nervous talking about the Catholics. Let's move on. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> That's good. I love to make people nervous. Okay, so Jesus says, this is the thing. This thing's insignificant. It looks insignificant, but what's doing in your life is powerful, and what it can do in the small, insignificant acts of goodness that you do each day, in the small things that might look invisible, sowing seeds of life, sowing seeds of grace into the people around you, 
He said, if you understand the way my kingdom works, then one of those laws is sowing and reaping. How many of you know that if we don't relent, we will reap in due season? I started pouring into Paul when I was nine years old. Paul was 86 when I was nine, even though he's been old my whole life to me. But not relenting and letting what happened in my life become this tree. How many of you know that now he's the last member of my immediate family that's now nestled safely in the tree of the kingdom of God? Jesus says that this kingdom is like leaven that a woman mixes into three measures of flour until it gets all mixed in and it leavens the whole lump. What we see here that Jesus is trying to show us is that the kingdom within you is supposed to infiltrate everything around you and what's in you has the ability to be the authority in any situation because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords dwells in you by the Spirit. Paul tells the Corinthian church, one of my most favorite, probably my favorite passage in the scripture is that he or she, man, open up your heart and receive this. He or she that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. The union that you have with Christ. How many of you know that that Authority that's on the inside of you, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the inside of you is at work in you now. And all of creation, the scripture says, is longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, longing for the kingdom to be manifested through you. But the kingdom within you is supposed to be worked into everything around you. The kingdom that's in you is supposed to expand and now house every, everybody say every, every facet of your life, which is why I'm fully convinced that we need less Christian businesses and more kingdom businesses. Let me tell you the difference between a Christian business and a kingdom business. A Christian business can slap a scripture on the wall, but their bathrooms still be in disarray in the lobby. A Christian business can have a fish little Jesus fish on the emblem of their fleet of vehicles, yet the front desk lady is meaner than a snake. Because Christianese is incongruent with the kingdom of God. But true kingdom people will always manifest true kingdom living. Which is why the vehicle of a kingdom person should be noticeable. Because the kingdom is supposed to be mixed into everything, not just some things. How many of you know that a home of a kingdom person should be noticeable? Because you should be experiencing the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Lord. Let me break it down to you this way. That Jesus is on the inside of you and his kingdom wants to manifest into everything. But as Christians, sometimes we don't think as kingdom people and we let Jesus deal with the major things in our life instead of seeing that the world, creation, is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, which means that people are paying attention to the details even if you are not. The kingdom of God has a smell. You should smell like the kingdom. Buy Old Spice in Jesus' name. <laughs> Irish Spring, the number one choice of all pastors, right? You should smell clean. A kingdom person's vehicle should be noticeable. Why? Because riding in it is an experience of righteousness, peace, and joy. If you can't be in your vehicle and experience peace and joy, you need to get that thing right. 
And people start saying, well, pastor, you're saying that I got to drive this kind of vehicle at this price range? No, just because something's old doesn't mean it can't be clean. Just because something is not your dream doesn't mean it can't move into a place of congruence to the kingdom of God. Did you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? Did you know that what you do with your body matters? Did you know your life doesn't belong to you? You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So the question becomes, what is a spirit-filled, born-again, blood-washed, water-baptized vehicle look like? Because the kingdom's like a woman that took leaven and mixed it into three measures of flour until leaven part of the lump or the whole lump? Everybody say whole lump. Praise God, now we're preaching. We're talking leaven and lumps, right? The whole lump. How much of your life is supposed to be leavened by the kingdom? The whole of your life. How many of you know that a lot of times in our life, we receive, an agra- we receive a grace to be bold in our apology for the state of our life more than we receive a grace to actually manifest the kingdom. You open up your car and McDonald's bags are just falling out. And you're bold enough to let somebody ride in there, which means that now you're bold in your apology. I'm sorry my car's a mess. What about receiving the grace to actually break a sweat and clean your car? So this is the type of preaching that, you know. Do you remember in the Gospels whenever Jesus is saying, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach liberty to the captives? And everybody's like, oh, man, this is, is this Joseph's boy? He speaks with such power, such eloquence. And then he says there, tell you, truly I tell you, there were many widows in the day of Elijah the prophet, but God didn't see it fit to make supernatural supply for any of the children of Israel's widows. But instead, he went to the Gentile and did a miracle for her. He starts saying things that challenge their belief systems. And the same people that were clapping and saying amen were the people that were ready to throw them off the cliff. Welcome to church in Jesus' name. Preacher, don't talk about that part of my life. Why? You're a kingdom person. Riding in your vehicle should be an experience of righteousness, peace, and joy. Being in your presence should be an experience of righteousness, peace, and joy. Christians, naming and claiming it. Brand, Cadillac come, Cadillac come. And the inside of their car smells like cow dung, cow dung. Are you hearing me? It's not congruent. I've been in literal metal shacks in the jungles of Costa Rica and the ministering to people in the banana plantations where they grow the bananas for Del Monte and Chiquita Banana. And people living out there in shacks and they're ministering the gospel to them and praying for people to be healed and coming into people's houses and these little old ladies with solid dirt floors, cleaner than granite floors I've been in in people's houses. Don't be condemned. If your floor is dirty, just go home and sweep it sweeping that dirt floor because a, because a man of God was coming. Bringing out what little bit they had and their best little broken plastic cup. How many of you know it's about the spirit in which you do a thing? Yeah. Having an excellent spirit. 
Not by having the flashiest, not by having the nicest house on the block, but what does it look like to bring your house, your physical house, congruent to the kingdom of God? Bless, bless, bless this house and all that are inside or whatever later decor you've picked up from Hobby Lobby. You know, and above, above your bed in your bedroom, they built a life that they loved. And you're fighting every night and hollering at each other with your veins popping out. But praise God, we got some Christianese on the walls of the bedroom. <laughs> praise God, we got the Jesus fish on the back of our car. But as soon as they cut us off in traffic, we spoke in tongues, but it wasn't a holy tongue. <laughs> oh, we love you, Jesus, today. We just love you. We love you, Lord. How many of you know we need less Christian homes and we need more kingdom homes? We need God's kingdom, praise God, to overtake every area of our life. And we need to see the kingdom added to our life like the leaven that leavens the, everybody say, whole lump. Whole lump. We need to treat our bodies as if they belong to the Lord. How many of you know that, man, if you're a kingdom person, I don't have anything wrong with McDonald's, don't hear me wrong, but if you're a kingdom person and you're going to McDonald's every single day, how many of you know there's a better way? There's a better way. I know it's cheap and I know it's easy. But if you eat like that every day, it's going to end up not being cheap, and your life's going to end up not being easy. We've got to learn how to be able to glorify God with our body to measure that we're able. This isn't about living in a place of condemnation. This isn't about living in a place of being browbeat by somebody. We need to move into a place of understanding that our life represents something. Our home represents something. Our car represents something. People say, well, this sounds like legalism. No, you just don't understand grace. Grace that doesn't lead to holiness in your life, which is an other kind of life, is not Bible grace. See, you haven't just been saved from something, you've been saved for something. Listen to this in closing. Why don't you, why don't you stand, and then I know we have people coming to service the table of the Lord tonight. How I many know that a chief part of the diet of the kingdom people needs to be the table of the Lord? Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Why don't we go ahead and have servers come, be ready to serve the people. Listen, for the grace of God has appeared. We started with a scripture reading, we'll end with a scripture reading. For the grace of God, how many of you know you're saved by grace through faith? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training, did you see the only thing that separates salvation and training is a comma. You haven't just been saved from something. How many of you are thankful that you're saved from a devil's hell? You're saved from your flesh. You're saved from the power of sin and death. But you're not just saved from something. You're saved for something. Listen, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Listen, training, everybody say training. Training. Us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age. Pastor Terry, is this New Testament that I'm reading right here? This isn't, this isn't Old Testament law, is it? This sounds like being called to a life of holiness. 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, listen, and to purify. Everybody say purify. For himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You're not just saved from something, you're saved for a life of good works. And that goodness, that righteousness will lead to an experience of peace and joy in every area of your life.